I was kind of afraid yesterday that I might have been slightly scandalous towards our seminarian Chris because I was kind of happy as I told him that it was a bit of a relief yesterday that it was the first weekend since the Saturday after Easter that we didn't have a wedding. Um, I like doing them. They're great. It's wonderful, but it's kind of nice to have a break. And so I sort of, you know, said I was pretty happy about that. We still had things to do. I still baptized little Emma Josephine yesterday after the eight o'clock mass. We still had mass, but man, it was kind of nice to have a weekend off. But still, and looking at, you know, all these weddings, it's been so great. But one thing I kind of think, and I think I've shared this with you before, just this sort of funny thought about, you know, going into a wedding, you know, what would happen if the groom, you know, says to his lovely bride, and just as they're about to walk in, I know normally they shouldn't see each other, but just bear with me. So he says to her, you know, honey, you look great. It's such a wonderful day. What is the bare minimum I have to do to make this thing work? So if you imagine that, right? Now, I get it. I'm a celibate man, you know, but I know that that is not going to melt any woman's heart, right? I mean, and to even ask that sort of a question It's just kind of out of bounds because marriage doesn't just involve some checklist. It's not like, okay, here are the things that you can do and that will make me happy each day and then just go about your business. No, I mean, it's an all-in sort of engagement. You know, you can't just ask for the specifics. It's, I want your all, you know, I want you to be totally committed to this, whatever may come. And even when you look at the vows, I mean, it doesn't spell out exactly what's going to happen from day to day, from the marriage day to countless years later. What do you get for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health? And that can entail a whole lot of different things. And basically what each of the spouses has to do is to go all in and not really count the cost, but give it their all, all along the way. And the thing is, I think looking at the gospel for today, our call to follow Christ, our striving on towards salvation is really not that different. And what I mean by that, I mean, look at, I mean, we all know this gospel so well, right? And I think it's important that we kind of strive to look at it, you know, in a new way every time we approach it, because there's always a danger with some of the parables like, oh yeah, I know about the Good Samaritan, let's just kind of move on, we got to be charitable. Well, Look at what the scholar of the law is asking. Think about that question just in and of itself. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Essentially, what's the bare minimum? What I got to do, you know, to make this thing work? What do I have to do to make this happen? And ultimately, we can't live that way in our faith. We've got to do more than just the bare minimum. Our faith isn't just about a checklist. And even notice, it's like the scholar of the law knows this. When Jesus, who's so good at this, where he throws it back into his court, what do you think? How do you read the law? And of course, he gives it right away, that big answer. You shall love the Lord your God, here's the word, with all your heart, with all your being. I mean, he says the word all here four times, and then your neighbor as yourself. And of course, Jesus says, do that and live. You'll be fine. It's a big task. And of course, all of a sudden, it's like the scholar of the law gets that. And in order to justify himself, is almost trying to dial it back, right? Well, and who is my neighbor? You know, all of a sudden, it's this realization that to go all in and striving for salvation It's not an easy thing to put your all into it. And so all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, what are the limits here? 
And of course, Jesus does this to us so many times in the gospel. He doesn't just sort of give kind of like a, a small, compact sort of an answer. It's like when someone asks him, you know, Lord, how many will be saved? He didn't go, 57. No, he doesn't give like a specific, you know, these are the, the parameters of the answer. What does Jesus do? And who is my neighbor? Let me tell you a story, right? And he tells a story about three people and their reaction to a dire situation of someone in need here. You know, and all three have one similarity, right? We've got the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. All of them see the man who's been beaten and left half dead, right? You got the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. And it says that each of them see him. Now, the priest and the Levite do, frankly, the natural thing. The thing that us in our fallen way, you know, and sometimes asking, what's the bare minimum I got to do to make it through this? You know, we naturally cross by to the other side. We don't always want to get involved, right? It's like you just kind of want to move away sometimes in sort of our fallen human way of doing things. I told you it was nice to have a break this weekend. Obviously, I've fallen to this too. I mean, it's just so easy to kind of like move away from the challenge, but that's not what we're called to do. He gives the example of the Samaritan who, like the other two, sees him, but what does he do next? He's moved with compassion and approaches the man. Now that actual formula of seeing, being moved with compassion, and approaching happens two other times in the Gospel of Luke. One of them is the other parable we all know, like the back of our hand. It's the parable of the prodigal son. The father is out there looking for his son. And when he sees him coming from afar, the father is moved with compassion and approaches him. He goes out to him. The other example of this is a few chapters prior to the parable we just heard in chapter 7. When Jesus and the disciples are going into the town of Nain, or Nain, it's often pronounced, and as they're going in, there's a procession out, a widow walking beside the casket of her dead son. And what happens? Jesus sees her, sees the deceased son. He is moved with compassion and he approaches. The thing is, we get this beautiful image here of the Samaritan and ultimately what it means to live out our all, to live the call to holiness. Is it easy to do? No. And like I said, the Samaritan gives us the supernatural example, the one that Jesus Christ first shows us in how to do. And the fact that he too has seen, been moved with compassion and approaches. But what I would say is just like with the wedding day, you don't know exactly what's coming next. Tomorrow, you know, three months from now, a year from now, 15 years from now, what is going to happen? And that's why I think in some ways Jesus doesn't say exactly the way and exactly who we need to be serving. He gives us the model. He gives us what we're supposed to be doing. First of all, we've got to see we got to keep our eyes open to what is going on around us. Where is the suffering around us? How is it manifesting itself? Because it comes from all sorts of different places. Notice once again, when the man says, and who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't just say, you know, everybody that lives on Colony Road. No, he says, here's the story. Here's the paradigm. You've got to see, and this is the second step, you've got to be willing to be moved with compassion. 
And that word in Greek, which I can't even hardly pronounce, it's like splomunkamai, I mean, it sounds really funny. It means to literally be moved in your guts, all right? Because it's like your intestines. You know, being moved with compassion. We're part of the human race. We're in this together. We're called when we see something that's not right. When we see the fallenness of our fellow human beings, not to be jaded, not to be indifferent, not to become cynical, but to be moved, to be affected, to then, frankly, to move to that approaching, to do something about it. How is that going to manifest itself for you today, tomorrow, three months from now? I don't know. And I don't know how it's going to be for me either. There are new things that approach for us all the time, new things that we're seeing every single day, new sufferings that are out there. But the big thing is, is when we look at what we're called to, loving God with all we've got and our neighbors ourselves, we've got to both see, be moved with compassion, and approach. That ultimately, when it comes to following our Lord, we've got to make this an everyday sort of a thing. Not to get up and say, Lord, what's the bare minimum I got to do today to make it through this thing, you know? And when you think about it, it makes sense, right? We all know that we're called the holiness, that we're called the greatness, so to speak. When you look at that first reading from Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people, this isn't something high in the sky, across the sea. It's written in our very hearts. We're created in the image and likeness of God, the one that Jesus is the image of for us he shows us, as he showed us in Luke 7, the widow of Nain. He sees, he's moved with compassion, he approaches. And when you think about it, as all of us after today, when Deacon sings so beautifully, go in peace in his unique way, which I love so much, you know, when he says that and we go out into the world, all of us are going to see different things. The question is, how are we going to live that out? When we see, are we going to allow ourselves to be moved with compassion like Christ? Are we going to approach, to strive to make things better? And obviously, is that an easy thing to do? No. There's a reason why the lawyer, the scholar of the law, is trying to like make the terms less, right? Because we're fallen and we want to do the natural thing like the priest and the Levite and just look out for number one. But that's not what we're called to. And the good news is, is even if we've done that so many times, the important thing is, is that Christ remains with us. Not only did he give us the example of how to see, be moved with compassion and approach, he continues to give us himself in the sacraments to go out there and do that. And remember this, we too, who have been like the man, beaten, robbed, left half dead, have found the love of Christ in the sacraments, in his presence. He's come to us. He's put us on his own animal. He's bathed us with oil and wine in the sacraments, given us the inn of the church, continues to be with us that we might then imitate him. Is it easy? No, of course it's not easy. That's why we have to have this gospel every three years. And frankly, why we all know this parable so well is because we have to keep striving to learn it. But in the same way, it would make no sense for a groom to say to his bride, it's a bare minimum I got to do, you know? As we know that that doesn't work, so too for us as we follow Christ. Every day to ask for his help to be like him, to have the attitude that he has, to have the heart that he has, to see, to be moved with compassion, and to approach. Our Lord gives us the model. Let's pray for the grace 
to go and do likewise. Praise be Jesus Christ.